Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the OKC Blue. It's been a minute since I've given a full-on breakdown with them. Thought it was probably best to do so today. There's been a lot of action going on with those guys. Lots of assignments, recalls, and everything in between. So, talking a lot on them. In particular, Teo Maladone and his recent contributions. What might mean decks for guys like Ty Jerome. And then also, I'm going to be discussing some trade targets listed by Bleacher Report earlier in the week. And kind of what my thoughts are on those opinions and to top it all off guys i'm going to be giving you a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings sportsbook so you do not want to miss out on that but guys you did have a game on monday okc claws back from double digits falls a singular point short against the chicago bulls obviously a heartbreaker there uh, they got this three-game gap, though. Next game's going to be on Friday. This marks the second uh, three-day gap in season for them. The last one they had was after the 73-point thrashing against the Memphis Grizzlies. Got to play the Pistons on that turnaround game and defeated the Pistons. And for this one, just lost against the Bulls. You get 72 hours to recharge. You have a roster just loaded with rookies or just young players in general they get to go ahead, wait those three days out and play another contest. Hopefully, they stay part of the course on that streak. Go 2-0 on in-season three-day gaps. But in between that and in between all this noise we've had at the NBA level, the Oklahoma City Blue has really just caught my eye. And you guys know this, I'm a really big OKC Blue fan, but just a G League fan in general. I think there's a lot of hidden gems in the G League. The storylines you find in the G League are really, really awesome. You know, just seeing where everybody came from. I talked about it uh, on the pod and on SI Thunder a couple weeks ago, but Rob Edwards, going into talking with him and making this story, I didn't realize he was really unrecruited out of high school. Had to almost like beg for that one offer, unranked. Just like that story of climbing up, making that dream come true. That's what I love about the G League. And that's what I love about this OKC Blue team, man. They have been clawing at it, made it to the Winter Showcase Cup final, obviously fell short to the Blue Coats, but they've been rocking and rolling in the regular season as well. They played 10 games so far, but the big deal with this a lot of these games have included the OKC Thunder assign. So I'll be going through those guys here. Obviously, you got Alexei Pokushevsky. That's kind of one where we found out a couple weeks ago he'd be dropping back down with Poku. He spent the majority of the G League bubble season um, last February down with the blue. Looked pretty good, and I think that rebuilt his confidence going back into the mix here. And he's had some tiny stints with the blue earlier in the year but he hasn't had this like week-long venture yet this is where he got that shine but also a couple other members have too isaiah roby has gotten some run with the g league teo maladone the minute leader from last season he's dropped down he's played over half of the regular season games to this point and olivier Saar, who was on that 10-day contract he's down with the blue as well so I want to talk about all these other guys on the roster. I pinpointed seven because I feel like that kind of gives you the gist. Now, one of these players is Mamadi Daikite. He's obviously not on the blue. He's on his second 10-day deal with the Thunder, but there's an important importance, I guess, to put in Daikite here, and I'll mention that in a little bit, but yeah, I just want to gonna kind of want to run through these guys because you're not gonna find OKC Blue Talk in the papers for the most part. You know, you might see the occasional stat sheet on Twitter, but you don't get much of the ebbs and flows of what goes on in these games and what is going on on a night-to-night basis with this organization. So I want to kick things off with Teo Maladone just because I feel like there's a lot of intrigue to him. You know. He looked pretty good as a rookie last year, all things considered. Now, efficiency-wise, was Teo the greatest? Absolutely not. You know, he was up and down, very shaky, especially from distance to end last year. But 
you know, playing off ball next to SGA wasn't too bad for him. And when SGA came down with a plantar fascia injury, he was able to pick up the load and produce some pretty quality games. I've always hyped up his ability to just zing the ball. If he's able to get a high ball screen, run in from one of the wings. If someone's sagging off the corner, he always sees it. He's going to make that midair adjustment. Looks like he's going for a floater. Nope. Midair, just kick out. He's going to get it to you a majority of the time or just go up for a floater. His touch looked good uh, when he was playing with ASVL uh, in France. And rookie season, kind of whatever. It just hasn't worked out for him uh, with the Thunder as of late. That's why you saw you know Ty Drome overtake him. Teo's shooting in like the teens from distance right now, 28% and all while playing for the Thunder. So he deserved to get dipped down. Um, but... In the six games he's had with the Blue in the regular season, all these have been consecutive, he's averaged 23.3 points per game, 4.7 rebounds, and 6.3 assists on a 57.9% clip. That's ridiculous. Easily, Teo has been the best member of the OKC Blue during regular season play. Just because he's been down there a lot, we didn't see much run during the Showcase Cup uh, kind of placements and then obviously the actual tournament itself didn't see much wear and tear now he's getting in the motions and he has been he's been really good I mean there's no other way to put it and even from three he's unlocked it shooting 41.7 percent and should you take it with a grain of salt I guess you can just because you know the sample size is not huge but can you really argue with a 23 5 and 5 stat line I really don't think so. He has been dictating the game since he got with the blue. Had 10 points to open up his stint. 2 of 8 shooting, really not that good. And then 24, 25, 26, 29 points for the Frenchman. He's had 5 consecutive games of dropping 24 plus. And he just keeps topping himself in terms of performance and it's not just him getting inside getting these three balls to go making those crafty passes we saw just hints of in his first season he's also getting to the line at will and this is one of the things that Teo is sneaky good at absorbing that contact but not just absorbing it but also drawing those foul calls Free throw shooting has been a major, major issue for the Blue Squad currently. And one thing you do need to consider with G League play, you know, unless it's the back two minutes of a half, if you get fouled on a three, you're taking one shot worth three points. If you take a mid-range jumper, get hacked, it's one shot worth two points. So you do see free throw attempts kind of dwindle down, but the points, you know, they're going to bolster up if you hit those. He's still averaging 6.2 in this current patch, and that is exceptional. When you want to take into account that a lot of these are getting sliced down, they aren't coming in the final two minutes of halves, you know, he's shooting probably 10 plus in an NBA uh, level if you want to kind of bolster those up. And even on the passing game too, really no issues. 5.3 assists to three turnovers. Do you want that assist to turnover ratio to be a bit better? Sure you do, but it's not that bad. We're starting to see Teo look pretty damn good in the half-court offense. That's what I really enjoyed seeing him do as a rookie, and he hasn't had that opportunity with the Thunder this season. When he's had the opportunity, he's kind of squandered it. I believe that he was arguably the number three guard going into training camp. Trey Mann surpassed him, and then Ty Jerome was able to take over in the month of November, and there was no looking back for Teo. By December, we all knew the writing was on the wall. He was number five, and he was out of that rotation. He's made these strides in the G League. Everything you could want, he's been doing it at a very high level across the last 10 or so days, and he got recalled today because of his ethic right now, so I'm stoked for that. Teo has been nothing but a delight with the blue and hopefully with this recall he's going to be able to continue this momentum actually get minutes put him ahead of Ty Jerome for a game or two just let it ride and see where he can go with it he's younger than three out of the four rookies the Thunder brought in this year only one who's younger is Josh Giddy, one of the like top five youngest guys in the league Trey Mann Teo's going to be younger Jeremiah Robinson Earl Teo's younger and Aaron Wiggins Teo is younger 
So he's on the youthful side of things, still has that potential. Everyone was kind of harping him up as this six man. Hell, I thought he'd be a really good six man this year and it hasn't worked out. So maybe you can rekindle it uh, after this latest um, little slew of games he's had. But I'm going to move to Alexei Pokushevsky, the other member of the 2020 draft class and kind of break down his game as well. I talked about how Poku has kind of been up and down. We've seen him kind of go through the motions of G League play and then bounce back up to the NBA level. He's played seven out of 10 G League games with the Blue this uh, regular season. And honestly, he has not looked very good whatsoever. We have not seen two consecutive games where he's been in a passing grade, really. We've seen way too many turnovers from him. The shot chart has not been great. And in some games, like the last one, he's just not looking to shoot that much at all. So the confidence on one end is not really there. If you're playing in the G League and you're a first round pick, you would expect that to be different. You know, you'd be the one controlling the basketball, shooting 10 plus times a game, but he has not. Um, and the reason is just because he hasn't been productive. He has not really warranted more looks. He has not been impressive. There's been a lot more guys on this team that's just outclassed him. He's been averaging 25.2 minutes per game. It's pretty damn good. That's like sort of starting level for G League. And he's been getting starting gigs while he's been out here. He's been averaging 6.7 points, 6.4 boards, and 2.9 assists. 3.1 turnovers to his name though. So the assist to turnover ratio is not looking good for him. Hasn't looked good handling the basketball. But that's not even the worst part. The worst part is the field goal percentage. And this has been an issue plaguing Poku since his rookie season. This was something expected. We always heard the little slogan of like, hey, you're really not even going to see what Poku's going to be like until that third or fourth year. And you know what? Maybe that has some validity to it. But right now, he's not at a point where you can really grade him as this star-studded prospect like does he have all the tools does he have these moments of course but he cannot put it together consistently shooting 32.3 percent from the floor that's not very good make it worse shooting 21.7 percent from three man not much is going poku's way right now and it's kind of a tough call like i've thought about it a little bit what do you do with a guy like Poku where he is your former first round pick? You gave up a lot to get him. Does it matter right now? No. I mean, who cares, honestly? But with a guy who's struggling in the G League, who was a really high potential player, and it seems to be across any level he'll be inconsistent, do you want to put him on the Thunder or do you want to keep him with the Blue? On one end, if you want to put the best lineup out there with the Thunder, you probably want to leave Poku out right now just because, you know, he hasn't been overly impressive here. If a guy like Teo's been balling out and he's not getting an opportunity with the Thunder, I get the the rotation's going to be different from a 7-footer in Poku and a 6'4", 6'5 guy in Teo. But are you going to elevate Poku ahead of a guy like Teo and these other guys dominating the G League? Maybe. Uh, it's not really like the th- this Thunder team is looking to actively take games away. Are they playing close? Of course, but got to keep in the back of your head, just like last season, they'll be okay getting some ping pong balls. They're playing for the lottery. They want to get some of these top tier guys in a draft class that looks to be pretty damn solid. I think the top three uh, is getting really chimed on about. A lot of people are, are excited about guys like Jabari Smith, Paulo Blanchero, depending on who you ask, Chet Holcrum as well could be in that conversation. So they want to stack up. So playing a guy like Poku where he could cost you some games wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, but does it stunt not only his growth, but everybody's growth on this roster? That has to be assessed. I don't expect Poku to get recalled. He was not in this latest batch of assignments and recalls. So he might be there a couple more weeks, just get him maybe three good games and then you could plug him back in. But right now, yeah, he's playing at that G League level. Definitely not uh, where you want him to be currently, but that's kind of just the deal with Poku. Um, Another guy though, Isaiah Roby, not like Poku whatsoever and (laughs) not even like Teo really. Roby's going to be consistent night to night. There's not games where his shot chart looks completely garbage. Maybe 
He's shooting 0 of 3 or 0 of 4 from distance, but that's the worst you're going to get out of him. It's going to be productive stat lines at the NBA level, and as a rim roller, he's always going to be productive. I think he is an NBA player. I think he does deserve rotational minutes. The Thunder have a lot of guys similar to Roby, which kind of hurts him right now. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is sort of the main one, kind of has the same exact archetype in a center role that Roby would have. So he's gotten axed and he's been good when he's been playing with the Thunder. When, you know, when JRE comes back though, it's kind of back to square one. Like he can't get these minutes and because of it, they're giving him more opportunities with the G. He's played four out of those 10 games, averaged about 24 minutes, 13 points, five and a half boards and 1.3 assists for him. 65% in all only 12.5% from distance though. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's one of eight. I don't think that's really realistic numbers with Roby. We know that he can bury three-point shots at like a 30% clip at least, which is not bad off of the pick and pop. And also defensively too, he can go up there, reject some shots. On the offensive side, he can be a high flyer. I don't look at this and really wave any like red flags you know with this blue team they have dj wilson back they have olivier sar back you don't really see roby playing that true five as he would be with the thunder so that might be why you see something like a rebound statistic go down for him i still think he's worth going giving him that call up again and trying to find something find some way to play him maybe it's after the trade deadline but yeah, he's doing everything right. It's not a matter of him playing poorly. It's a matter of just not having that spot readily available for a player like Isaiah. Now, I want to wrap it up here with the uh, assignments with Paul Watson Jr. And with Paul Watson, he has kind of been on a very odd schedule and it dates back like months ago i'm talking november when the chatter first started at least on my end you bring him in as a 26 year old he's 27 years old now he's not shooting um the three ball where he needs to be and the reason you brought him in when he is 26 is not this potential deal you're bringing in paul watson jr because last season with the raptors he's shooting damn near 50 percent from distance perfect catch and shoot cog to put in there Get a guy like SGA, get a guy like Getty, those main ball handlers. If you see someone in the corner, you got to stick it to them. Paul Watson Jr. was supposed to be the guy shooting above 40% from distance right now. Currently, it's not the case. He's hanging on to dear life for like 20% right now. And he's been in a limbo spot where he wasn't fetching time with the OKC Blue during winter showcase play, even during the playoffs or their final run that they had. Um, but also he's just like the 15th man with the thunder he's on the sidelines with someone like Gabrielle Deck when those 10-day guys were in he wasn't even getting minutes you know so he just trotted around for a month and they finally brought him back down this month he's played six out of the 10 games 25.3 minutes this is where your back is against the wall this is almost do or die in my opinion because you're 27 you've been shooting poorly and you have 10-day guys in and out. Mamani Diakite is the one that sticks out to me. And, you know, you need to play at that NBA level while getting those minutes in the G. Has not done that. He's been averaging 7 points, 5 boards, and 1.3 assists, 30% from the floor, and 25% from distance. He's shooting about 4 attempts per game, so it's not like a small sample size here. So... Issuing what, like 6 out of 24 currently? Not good. And turnover-wise, also not good. 3.2 turnovers for Paul Watson Jr. right now. He's just kind of frazzled. I don't know what it is exactly. Um, If it was up to me, I probably would give that two-way contract to somebody else. If you are looking to maximize the potential, uh, but also keep that roster spot for trade deadline time, which... I would if I was Sam. Yeah, I think the move would be moving Watson down and getting a guy like Amamadi back up there, a Sar up there, or maybe some other names as well. And Sar, after that first 10 day, I think he got a second one actually. He was looking good. I mean, he had that one game against the Kings and we didn't really see much more action from him. 
But with the blue, he's still been a really solid player. Talked about maybe two, three episodes ago, he broke the rim uh, against the Santa Cruz Warriors. Like he bended it, folded it, took 30 minutes to patch it up for the overtime that they had. Um, but yeah, he's been in the spot where DJ's above him right now. Poku's there, Roby's there. Only had 18.8 minutes in his runs right now. And he's still been super productive. Like, this was what happened last uh, last season, or I guess last calendar year, when we had those play-in games, the bracket play. Olivier was behind DJ, behind Roby, wasn't getting 20 minutes per game. But he's still on that double-double mark. And I've always kind of seen him as the dark horse, like, even before the G League season started, just his archetype, I guess you could say, just a high-flying seven-footer, chase-down artist, might be able to uncork from distance. You'll love to see it with the G League system, especially under Grant Gibbs, who is exceptional at finding that floor space in between the one and the five off those high ball screens. 10.6 points, 6.4 boards, and 1.4 assists for him currently. 60% from the field, 71% from three. Now that's not going to be realistic for him, obviously, but he's looking to shoot from distance again. And this is one of those deals where like, hell, if you can still send out those 10-day contracts, might as well just throw another one. Like I know Mamadi's there, and if Mamadi signs a long-term extension or a end-of-the-year contract, there's probably no point. However, you got to keep tapping at it because you don't want to see another Omer Yurt 7 go out the door, you know, and I'm not saying Sar is going to be that because Yurt 7 is a monster, but he's still a pretty talented guy. I can see someone swooping in and taking an extra look at him and uh, maybe even signing him because he is kind of being underlooked and underplayed right now just due to the situation uh, that he is in, but he's been doing all right. And then for the final G League player, this is not a G League assignment. This is not a two-way player. This is not someone who's been on a 10-day. This is Melvin Frazier Jr., and he has been dominant. I don't know how he didn't get a 10-day. Same with the hardship exception, because he's been great all season. He didn't look great last year with the blue. In his two years of Lakeland, he was like the star damn near. And he doesn't have a starting role locked down with the blue right now just because of the assignments. He still played all 10 of these games, averaged 30.3 minutes, and he has stayed part of the course. 14.9 points, 3.7 boards, 2.2 assists, shooting 50% from the field and 36% from distance. Melvin Frazier Jr. is a pretty good player like if I'm a playoff team I think I'd filter out a lot of on-ball guys players that are going to take away from your normal system like a a Mac McClung or something or Lindell Wigginton you don't want to bring those guys in if you're like the Lakers or something because you know the star of the show is going to be Russell Westbrook or it's going to be a guy like Curry for the Warriors right the guys you want to get are those 30 year old veterans at the two who just kind of help you out. They're solid everywhere. And that's what Melvin Frazier Jr. is. He is a well-rounded player. Six foot six, seven foot two wingspan, perfect frame. And he's only 24, I think 25 years old right now. He's hitting it from three. I trust him on those catch and shoots from the corner, which is what his role would translate to in the NBA, I believe. And then even on the fast break, he is a very good downhill finisher. Even in half-court scenario too, one-on-one, those hard gathers, those hop steps, he's able to phase you and he's not the fastest guy, but just that extra element he's able to put in there, it really makes the difference. And if he's not going to get it off of that lay-in, he'll get a foul there, he'll take it to the line and he can hit it. Offensively, I love his game. Defensively, he's been one of the top steel pickpocket artists, whatever you want to call it in the G League. He's able to get into those passing lanes, and he's able to translate defense into offense. He's really good. Um, He's one of those players that I think would be great overseas. He would maybe hang in there uh, on a two-way deal if he were to get one right now. He's worth evaluating, though. You need to investigate a guy like Melvin 
And even before the Thunder signed him last season, I've always had him on my radar. I've loved the way he plays. He fills into what Sam has wanted. Now, it's a different vision now. They're not looking to be in the playoffs currently. But just that type of like 3 and D wing that also could have that extra kick inside really could make a difference for you. So I would like to see him get something next year. Get him in an NBA jersey. Get him a 10-day, whatever it may be. And then to wrap things up here with some of the OKC Blue guys, I want to talk about Mamadi Diakite. And he's not even a Blue guy. He's still on assignment. And it's going to expire on Sunday, actually. But he's been balling out. Seven games, 11.7 minutes per game. He's posting 2.9 points, 3.4 boards, shooting 50% from the field. And we've seen he's able to get up there and reject some shots. Now, with Mamadi, a lot of these games, he's playing like four or five minutes. You're not seeing the 20-minute samples. When he has gotten those, he's dropping eight points, getting three boards. And he's been good inside. He's been everything his resume has shown, which is he's able to get your rebounds when he boxes outs. And he's kind of that post player. But above all else, very talented screen setter. And we've seen the cohesion between Ty Jerome and Mamadi be on full display. They played at Virginia together for a couple seasons, actually. And, you know, you're starting to see that. Set that screen up top. Ty's going to pop it, or he's going to kick it inside, just like bringing it back to the good old days for the former um, Cavaliers. So he's been good. I think that I would probably rather have Daikite over Paul Walton Jr. right now. And if Sam Presti elects to go that way, I'd be pretty happy about it. I think that Mamadi deserves that extra magnifying glass of Paul Watson. I really don't think there's a scenario where he hangs around past this season. He's sort of the Justin Jackson of this year where Justin Jackson, he gets tossed into one of these trades and he's not very efficient for you. Um, You know, the resume beforehand Shows that he was solid, but he's just, just, he's not been playing to what was expected. And with Justin, the Thunder kept him around for the better part of last season. They still waved him and he got his ring, but you know, you could have gotten him out. You could have got Frank Jackson in training camp. You could have maybe tried throwing him in a trade and it never really happened. With Paul Watson, he's not on an actual NBA deal. It's a two-way. You're way below this salary floor. I just say, you know, if you're expected to not keep him past this season, might as well get rid of him now and get someone else in because Paul is not getting you rotational minutes with the Thunder right now. And, you know, even though the blue is big time, you want to be prioritizing that roster and kind of molding it around what you'd want to see with the Thunder. And I think that Paul Watson would fit that because they need catching you guys, but he is not been that right now so that's kind of my take on those seven Teo has been just stellar and I want to talk a little bit about him uh, in a second here but first I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook four teams remain in the NFL playoffs and that means only four teams left for you to bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Even if you're not a new member with DraftKings Sportsbook, you can enjoy the fun with same game parlays. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, 
go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, kind of staying on topic here with the G League players, I want to talk a bit more on Teo Maladon. I gave you the rundown of his stat line. It has been very pretty over the course of the last six games, but just making do with the opportunity. That's what I want to stress here. With Teo, he was supposed to be one of those top guys with the Thunder. He was supposed to be behind SGA, behind Giddy, and in an ideal world, he'd probably be sharing a backcourt with Trey Mann in that second unit right now, but it did not work out. January 7th spelled the end of the backcourt battle at least in my eyes. This was after a month's worth of kind of competing with Ty Jerome, losing out on that. And, you know, that's when Mark decided to send Teo down. Now, we didn't really get to see Teo play in that first week. He was getting pushed back and forth, but he was getting the practice in and he was getting prepped to play some G League basketball. And it's surprising to see the man who had, what, 17 100 plus minutes last season the minute leader uh, being down with a g again um, just because you know he couldn't really take it with trey man and ty jerome and truthfully tail maladone was the worst player percentage wise on the thunder roster this season he has been that in his course of games already rattled it out a little bit ago but 3.7 points 1.8 boards just one assist in 13.6 minutes that's not gonna do it for you especially on that 28 percent clip and the 18 percent efficiency rate from downtown he never got it together and he hasn't gotten it together um at the nba level this season and you know, even though he's been playing well in the G League, that doesn't necessarily translate over to the NBA immediately. But the fact he's been playing well in the G kind of gets you a better sense of where he's at. It's not like Teo's a straight up scrub. I've heard people coin Teo as the worst player in the NBA. I've seen tweets where they're saying, oh yeah, uh, I found out that Alexei Pokushevsky's not even the worst NBA player on his own team. Like, they're just dishing that out there. They're like, oh yeah, Teo's actually worse than Poku. He has been statistically, but the way that Teo plays, I still think there's some hope for him. And if he's not able to get it together with a Thunder, I'm sure another team will scoop him up and try to tap some potential out because he has exhausted a lot of what we saw in his rookie season over the course of the last six games. The dump-offs, the you know, just rim runs to the push shots, the floaters, they've been there. Going inside, mid-air adjustments on these layups have gone in for him. I'm on I honestly didn't see that last year from Teo. And just popping it from three, having that confidence, ended up sending the game to OT off a 35-foot step back, I think it was. He's just been feeling it. He's had the hot hand from everywhere. And I do think the way that he plays translates to that next level. The only thing that you have to worry about with Teo is are the minutes going to come in this next stint? This is the most pivotal week probably in Teo's season because he's already lost that first battle. If he has two or three bad apples tossed in here, Ty Jerome's not bad. I'm sure Ty is still going to get you six, seven points per game and potentially notch 10 plus when he's feeling it. Teo's not necessarily like that. He's more of a guy that has that spread out stat sheet of like five, four, and four uh, with maybe a turnover or two or something, but he's looking to be um, a, a passer and he needs to go inside for it to work. He's not like Ty Jerome where he's stuck out at the three-point line and that's where all the offense starts. Teo's looking to slash inside and, and then make that call and those reads. So it is a bit different, but you got to look at the system too, um, just because, you know, with Teo... He is that type of player where he needs the basketball in his hands to create for others. Uh, and off the ball, he did look all right last year. I know in January of last year, he was actually leading the team in terms of catch and shoot. Hasn't worked out this year, as a, as you guys know. But like, if he can play one and two with SGA or with Josh Giddy, Trey Mann even, that's going to be a big freaking sign. And with Trey Mann too... 
Trey is the guy who's going to get it done both on and off. He's able to be that catch and shoot player. He's shooting about 40% from there, I believe. And that's one of the better shooters on, on the Thunder's roster. He's going to get you with the step backs. He can create in the mid-range or the three. But if Teo's able to create off that screen and then kick out, he's gladly going to take that shot. If it's a high percentage look, Trey's going to go out there. He'll probably hit it on a high rate. So if that tandem works out, that's going to help sway things a bit more. Uh, but also, I think the passing display needs to really be there. So just keep the center of attention on Teo leading into this next patch of games and just see if he even gets the run here. If he if they put him up just to play Ty Jerome over him, I'm not sure if that's a very good move. At that rate, why don't you just keep him in the G League and let this uh, kind of play itself out, get that run to maybe 10, 10 games? Hell, uh, I guess you could go that far with it. But I don't know. I'm really on this Teo train though. I was high on him. Uh, in the draft process last season, whenever they had that 34th pick, it was between Teo or Paul Reed for me. I have it on Instagram. I know people will be like, well, that's almost too good to be true. It is. It is pretty damn good, but I promise you, I got the receipts on it. I, I wanted either of those two. I like them both. Um, and he lived up to it first year. Hasn't been there this season. I think it all comes down to opportunity though. And hopefully that is going to come very, very soon for him. But changing things to talking about the trade deadline next month. There was a Bleacher Report article posted by Greg Schwartz on Monday, and it had a list of all 30 NBA teams, and they mentioned three different players that they should be interested in going into the deadline. And the way that they broke this down was they broke it down into dream target, realistic target, and sneaky target. So I'll be mentioning that, but I also want to mention the two Thunder players that were talked about in this piece as trade assets. And the first one I want to talk about is Kenrich Williams. No surprise here with Kenny Hustle. Last season, his contract looked even juicier, really. Three years, $6 million. Currently, it's two years, $4 million. Bang for your buck. If you're a team just swimming in luxury taxes right now, you pull the trigger on Kenrich Williams. And there was a report that he's on the market for a first-round pick. We'll see if that's actually true or not. Um, he does have actual value, though. He'd bring in draft picks from a contender, and I don't think there's much of a debate about it. His averages on the year are not going to wow you, especially if you're on the outside looking in. Like, I think it's around seven points right now, ballpark range. But he hits it from downtown, two-way specialist, and he's only playing like 18 to 20 minutes per game. This is just like the talk I gave when I was mentioning the Mac McClungs earlier. Like, these contending teams aren't looking for on-ball players. They're looking for players to fill in those gaps and make you solidified as a core. Kenrich Williams is going to do that for you. And in this article, they listed the Warriors as one of the names to watch for Kenny Hustle as the dream target and then just a realistic target for the Lakers. I understand it for both of those, um, just from the perspective that they could use that additional backcourt help and Kenny can really move from 2-3 to even the 4 if need be. And he does it at a very, very good rate for the pay grade, of course. So I think the market's even beyond 2. He just didn't have enough spots to probably fill in Williams. But very, very good player. Um, but one thing to note, you know, he showed his loyalty to the Thunder. With Joe Musato, he had an interview last week. Mentioned that he wanted to stay uh, with the Thunder potentially till he retires. So we'll see if that's actually a factor going into any negotiations. And the same can be said with Mike Muscala. Almost had everyone teary-eyed in the press conferences or the exit interviews last season, just talking about how much he wanted to stay. Contract year for him. People thought he was going to a contender. Signed a multi-year extension with the Thunder at a pretty good price. And the way that Bleach Report saw this one, they saw him as a realistic target for the Warriors and a sneaky target for the Nets. Can't complain about either. Mike Muscala is an archetype that every team should be salivating over. Just that stretch five. Not only that, but he's a microwave stretch five too. 
trading a team high 43.9% from distance, 3.7 tries per game, but he's clocking in eight points per game on 13 and a half minutes. That is pretty freaking ridiculous. He gets red hot, and a lot of these games, you see him have more points than he does minutes. If you're a contender, you want to have that. And even though they didn't list it, you see Warriors, you see Nets, both those could use those stretch fives. How about a Lakers team or something like that? They need perimeter shooting. People complain about this Westbrook-LeBron James combo. If you want to see them coexist, throw AD in there. Why not add Muscala in there if you can throw a couple picks Presti's way? I don't know if Presti would take a deal on Muscala. I think it'd have to go through Muscala first before a trade offer would be given, but I could see Muscala also being on the block. Probably would have Williams as that number one target, though, for these other teams. Now, going into the Thunder based stuff, who would the Thunder want? The dream target was Gary Trent Jr. of the Toronto Raptors. Just turned 23 years old, having a pretty good season as well. Averages of 16.2 points, 2.7 rebounds, and 2 assists. And he's on a contract where he's locked up for a little bit. Three years on his deal right now, and it's going to be spread out equally. He's making $17.2 million, respectively, for all of those three. So he noted it could secure your rebuild, kind of give you another piece to orchestrate with, and it add a shooting presence to a team that really doesn't have a shooting identity at all. Shooting 31% from three right now with Gary Trent, he's been a three-point centric guy. Averages over seven attempts per game, shooting about 37% there. Um, the thing with Trent though, I don't think this is a good deal. You know, Bleacher Report always kind of tosses out the, those bones where you're kind of shaking your head. You're like, why? Why would it be this way? This is one of those. Even though Gary Trent's young, and even though that contract does give you some stability for the future, why would you give out assets to the Toronto Raptors? And Gary Trent's not like chump change, you know? He's not a terrible contract, all things considered. So, yeah, you'd have to give something of value to the Raps. And the backcourt for the Thunder is already kind of loaded. You have SGA and Josh Giddy as the one and two. I think if you get Trent, that even taps into Lou Dort's capabilities on the team. And it also is going to get that hit on the bench unit. How are you going to shake it out? Ty Jerome, Trey Mann, they're always on life support in terms of minutes and Teo's out of it. You're going to sink out another player with that. And I think the number one uh, place to address if you are going to go for a pretty solid established guy uh, would be a front court figure. You don't need to keep piling up on backcourt guys that might have potential or might already be pretty decorated as a player. So that's my, my take on that one. But just delving into the realistic target, this one makes some sense here. It's Mo Bamba from the Orlando Magic. And with Mo Bamba, the rumor mill has had him stuck in Bricktown for well over a season. This is a former top 10 pick here. I believe he was taken number six in the 2018 draft. And the Magic didn't utilize him his first three seasons. This is his final year of his fourth or I guess it's two plus two option that they decided to pick up. And he looked like a bust, just certified bust. Was he getting minutes? No, um, but he still wasn't amazing with it. People were just confused why like Kem Birch, just players of those nature, were fetching the, the time. Uh, but now he's gotten the time of day. There's no Kem Birch in the mix, and he is the starting center for the Magic. He's been averaging 10.2 points, 8.1 boards and 2.1 blocks in 27 minutes and he really fits Mark Dagnalt's frame. When you're checking the team right now, you you see the pattern, right? Like just so many oversized guys. Jumbo guards, Josh Giddy at 6'8", Vit Krejci at 6'8". Obviously, he's not been out there, but he's there. Gabriel Deck when he was around. You pick up a 6'8" point forward with a player like him. At the five, you see these players that are more ball handling types. You see the Robies at 6'9". You see the JREs at 6'9". And then you see Poku 
as a seven footer. With Mo Bamba, you have another seven footer here, but you also have an insane wingspan, seven foot ten. He's able to get up there, and that's why he's averaging 2.1 blocks, and that's why with Texas in college, he was an absolute beast. It was very hard to go inside with him as a longhorn. So outside of just the rim protection he's going to provide you, he's surprisingly been consistent from downtown. He shot 35% from distance, and I think that kind of gives you the perfect storm of what Mark Dagnall has wanted. He's wanted somebody who's going to give you those rejections defensively, but also kind of be quick enough uh, as a five. He's not a tweener because of the size, but he can kind of play like one just because the mobility he does have. He can get you that high ball screen and just cut right into the basket, or he can step outside and splash down some threes. Potential-wise, too, I don't know exactly where it's going to land at with a player like Bamba, but... A situation with a player like SGA would be very, very ideal for him, at least the way that I see it. Now, in a perfect world, the Thunder target a guy like John Collins. John Collins has been on this trade block for two, maybe even three seasons, and he's very, very good. This is probably the best matchup you're going to find at the four or the five for the Thunder, just because he is a proficient shooter, but he's also one of the best lob threats in the league if you need someone to make a deadly pick and roll offense you go with a guy like john but maybe you could go bomba here now the one thing with bomba that is a bit different from last trade season bomba actually has legitimate value now bomba still had that last year but he was still kind of coined as a bust and the way that they didn't play him it looked as if he would be expendable they didn't end up trading him uh, but now he's around and if I'm the Magic, I would be okay with keeping him around. You know, you have a pretty young team now. It's not plagued with players like Aaron Gordon or Vucevic where they're great players, but they're always going to get you kind of in the mediocre range. They've reshuffled here. They have Jalen Suggs. They have Markel Foltz. They have Franz Wagner hanging around here. And Jonathan Isaac, he's not back from injury yet, but he'll be a good defender. And he could be a very good player to add on to an offensive-minded guy in Mo Bamba already. So the structure is there. If I'm, you know, in the front office for the Magic, I'm not going to give him up unless you're getting draft capital or assets. Player assets, I don't think would be a thing on the table with a guy like Mo Bamba because you're well, it's not even the player really it's the organization i'm not doing it with the team like the magic they need more draft picks they're looking to rebuild if you're going to trade out a young guy you're going to want to get young guys back or draft picks back so that's where you start here in that trade maybe you toss in a younger guy who would that be i feel like they're also kind of loaded in the front court positions already so is it like an isaiah roby type player I don't think Kenrich Williams would really make the cut here. Poku, would he be somehow added to make things work out? You have to do some mental mind games to make it work. So I think there would be a price to get Mo Bamba, but it might be a hefty one. Uh, I will say, you know, he'd be a nice tack on, give you a true five when you have JRE and Roby kind of just hanging there and the two vets. Uh, a free agent guy who could be in the trade market too would be Jalen Smith. They didn't note it, and I'll probably do a separate pod on some of those guys that I would enjoy, uh, not this little Bleacher Report blurb that we got, but definitely Jalen Smith would be here too. Now, the sneaky target for the Thunder might be the most realistic, all things considered. It is Serge Abaka. Air Congo making his second stop in OKC had that run before getting traded to the Magic for Oladipo, Sabonis, later became Paul George, later became a lot of stuff that would take a while to ramble on about. But yeah, Serge, he's been good. He's kind of turned into a journeyman since that initial trade. Right now, he is with the LA Clippers, and he's not bad. It's just a matter of him being 32 and being on a contract that the Clippers do not want to pay $9.7 million on an expiring for him. Not too bad on the surface, 
But the Clippers are deep into luxury tax right now, and if they shred that contract, they're going to cut their luxury taxes by about 33%. And for the Clippers, this might be more of a throwing in the towel move. I don't know if Serge Ibaka really shifts you much in terms of wins and losses in this phase of his career. The Morris twin is clearly going to be the better option at the four for you, but he is a positive impact player. Now you have Paul George injured, Kawhi Leonard's going to be out for the year, that's what is expected with him, so if they keep tanking games, maybe you just want to get rid of that money, that's the only real mindset you can have here, if the Clippers want to get in the playoffs and they want to win, they endure this little cap hit, but if it is a nasty contract the way that they would consider it, yeah, you could trade a Baca back and um, maybe add like two second round picks Thundership out a million and you give that handshake on Serge gets to stay for a bit and then he signs uh, another contract with another team in that offseason the one caveat though that I think everybody here probably notes is this is the LA Clippers we're talking about Sam Presti holds the keys to the Clippers organization for the next five seasons all of their first round picks are either unprotected outright going to OKC or the Thunder will have the ability to swap out first round picks. So the Thunder have the 10th selection in the next draft class, and the Clippers somehow have the first pick. You throw that swap out, Thunder are now landed at number one, and the Clippers, they have to shoot their shot at pick number 10. So they have a lot of hold and a lot of stock in their team. So if you're going to make a move that you believe in the long term, will stifle their draft picks and and not give you those lottery selections that you kind of want to bank on I don't think you want to make this move and this is kind of one where I think the stakes would be lower than usual because this is an expiring contract we're talking about and right now it's going to help you out almost because that's a role player you take off the deck for LA Um, but you kind of never know here um If it's up to me, I'd say there would be a good price. You give me two second round picks, I would consider that deal. That's all the Clippers have to go with right now. I don't think Brandon Boston would be on trades. They got good value with him. I think they traded into the second round to select him, and he's been pretty good. Um, So I think it comes down to those seconds. Maybe there's someone else I'm missing here as a player, but yeah, this is nothing more than a dump off, add an asset or two and you call it quits. I feel like the Clippers would ideally not want to trade with the OKC Thunder in a move, but whatever works for them works for them. That's just me sitting behind the front desk pretending to be Presty for a little bit there. If you guys have any other takes on these three, on Kenny Hustle, on Mike Muscala, or on any of the G League guys, make sure to shoot me a tweet. You can just hit up my personal one or go at ThunderstickPod for that. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.